0: Welcome back to another episode of the Common Sense Finance Podcast. Anthony here, and on this episode, Nick and I had the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Lori Ambuza, an attorney with more than 20 years of experience in the state of New Jersey and a full professor of law at St. Peter's University. It's also worth noting that she is the chairperson of the accounting and law departments. In addition to that, she is also one of the leaders of the Women's Advancement Leadership Initiative at St. Peter's University. We had a very interesting and fantastic conversation. Although I was a few minutes late to this conversation, I still did not miss out on much because she provided just so much value throughout the entire episode. In this episode, we are able to discuss her background as a lawyer, what ultimately brought her to becoming a lawyer, what perspective law students should consider before attending law school, and much more. Nick and I learned a lot from this podcast. It's always a pleasure speaking with Dr. Buza and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. So, yeah.
1: And welcome back to our Common Sense Finance podcast. We have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. Laurie Buza, who is a practicing attorney hey. here in New Jersey, along with being the chairperson for the Accountancy and Business Law Department at St. Peter's University. And Dr. B, uh, before we ask any questions, we like to uh, ask the interview, uh, interviewer, interviewee if you can go uh, talk about your bio so people can um, understand your background.
2: Sure, sure. Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Nicholas. Uh, Nicholas is a great former student of mine, so I'm, I'm, and so is Anthony. I'm very, very happy to be here today. Um, so just a little bit about me. Nicholas is right. I'm a practicing attorney in New, in New Jersey, also the federal courts. And I'm also an arbitrator with the Arbit- American Arbitration Association. So that's my, um, my, my practice of law stays current with K.S. Brannigan Law in uh, Nutley, New Jersey. But my, my main gig, as you know, Nicholas, I'm a full-time professor. In fact, I just made full professor at St. Peter's University. I'm so happy about that. Um, I teach all the business law courses there. I chair the business law and accounting department and uh, something I wanted to mention, especially in light of Women's History Month, is that I, I recently was appointed as director of something called Wally. It's the Women's Advancement and Leadership Institute at um, St. Peter's and, initiative, excuse me. And uh, what we do there basically is, is try to promote the progress and advancement of women, particularly in male dominated areas, uh, you know, fields of work, such as law and business, But not limited to that. Um, So we're bringing in speakers, and we're doing podcasts like this, and trying to educate people, trying to help women, and uh, you know, particularly positions of leadership. So that's who I am. If you have any further questions, I can certainly.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Dr. Buzza. And you know, before we start, I just want to say the initiative for Wally has been amazing. Um, Mm -hmm. The events you guys had this month were you know top of the line.
2: Thank you so Uh, much. Yeah, we do an annual Women's Empowerment Day Mm -hmm. where we bring in judges and lawyers and all kinds of very successful leaders, female leaders, not only for them to talk about their experiences and to talk about some issues facing women in the law and and elsewhere, but um, to be models and examples for the students. I always say for for women to see what's possible and and for men to kind of get used to it, uh, women in in these uh, high-powered positions.
1: Thank you, Doctor B. Thank you, and uh, just to get started, would you mind um, asking us how you got um, into law? What you know?
2: Absolutely, yeah, no, sure. Um, and that's a common question that I get as a professor and an advisor, and it's not as easy as an answer of an answer as you would think. Most, you know, you would you would love to hear someone say, "Oh, I always wanted to be a lawyer my whole life," and. I know one person who tells who has said that. Most people, they kind of find their way into their career. And that's what happened with me. I was actually a, psych, a psychology major, pol- double with political science. I had a philosophy minor. I was heavily into martial arts. I even was dabbling in acting and modeling and things like that. So not, none of those things that I just mentioned involved law, right? Um, but as I was progressing in college and things were unfolding and you know I with my martial arts I got injured I really couldn't compete anymore so I started teaching self-defense and when I was teaching self-defense classes for women um I was enjoying helping people and I was enjoying empowering women Uh, and then as luck would have it I got an internship one summer for the sex crimes unit in Staten Island New York and again, I was helping women and, and I liked it. I was only a, a little intern at the, at the time, but I was receiving that gratification from helping people and, and observing lawyers do this on a much more grand scale, uh, you know, level than I could as just my little volunteer work. Uh, and then I was placed, uh, Washington internship in DC Uh, And as luck would have it, I I really didn't have much of a choice. I was just told, you know, work for the narcotics division at at the, for senior narcotics of the U.S. Attorney's Office. So I went along, I was excited to do it, but in my mind, I wasn't thinking I want to be a lawyer. I was thinking this is a great, exciting trip to spend a semester in D.C., learn, and I was placed with lawyers. I was placed in this internship. And the more and more that I observed, I really became you know, fascinated by the law. And one of the um, senior narcotics prosecutors said to me, you know, you, you have such an interest in, in women's issues and helping people, and you know you can do so much more as a lawyer than you could. You know, it's wonderful you help 10 people on a Sunday, you know, 20 people in the a, in a class, but look what you can do with a law degree. Think about it, you know, and she encouraged me. She, she told me I was smart. She told me I was capable. You know, I, I I realized that I was, but I didn't have the confidence, you know. I really, I certainly didn't. So her belief in me really um, propelled me to at least think of it in that, in that way that it was possible. And then I had family support. They wanted me to try it. I really wasn't sure, but I tried for law school just in case. I said, you know what, let me leave my options open. I was a senior, I had nothing else to do. I was gonna graduate with a psychology degree. And the thought was, maybe I'll go for a PhD in psychology. I really like psychology and philosophy. But then I thought to myself, this law thing is kind of simmering in the background. Uh, I went for the LSAT. I did well enough. I only applied to two schools, really with Rutgers, because I was the only one I thought I could afford. I surprised myself by getting into it. And it wasn't until the summer before that I finally said to myself, you know what, let's do it. Let's try it and see how it goes. So I did try it. I loved it. I loved learning about the law. I, I didn't like the work. It was hard. I, but I really was intellectually stimulated and empowered every day with that gain of knowledge. Uh, and I do have, I have developed gradually, as you can hear this story unfold, gradually this love of the law. Um, so that's how I got into the law. Uh, it's probably another question, how did I get into teaching or practicing? Right? But um, that also kind of unfolded. I landed this big job out of school with a wonderful law firm, a a large law firm, Willence Goldman and Spitzer in in Woodbridge. I was so happy to be there. Um, It was a very prestigious job, good money, but the practice of law, it was great, but I also wanted to have a family. As soon as I got pregnant, I realized I probably didn't want, not that I couldn't do both, but I didn't want to do both at that time. So I wanted to take a leave of absence. During that leave of absence with my first pregnancy, someone asked me to cover a class at St. Peter's, Father McMullen, who's since passed on. He said, he called me on the phone. He said, hey, dearest, you teach, you know law, right? You, you're a lawyer, right? I said, yeah, why? He said, we need someone to cover a class. Would you do it for us? I said, well, Father McMahon, I'm six months pregnant, but, and I, I've never taught before, but if you really need it, sure. He said, we really need you in two weeks. Two weeks. He gave me a full-time schedule to teach in two weeks, and I didn't even have any of the books. But you know what? I, in my life, I've never really shied away from challenges, and I didn't want to start then. And uh, frankly, I had just given the leave of absence at Wilens, and I was hungry for a little bit of work, right? So I said, let me, let me do it. Let me tell you, Nicholas, I walked into that classroom uh, thoroughly unprepared because I didn't have the textbook to teach what I was about to teach. But once I opened my mouth and started talking and, and received the feedback from the students, I knew that was my place, that was my calling, that's where I wanted to be. And that was years after I graduated law school. I had practiced for five years as a, full, you know, a full-time associate Uh, And I always say to students when they ask me, when did you know you wanted to become a law professor, which is a different question than lawyer, the day I walked into that first classroom, when I was however old, you know, late 20s, whenever that was. So it took me all that time to finally realize what I wanted to be when I grew up, which was a law professor. And Loved it, Uh, started as an adjunct. And when opportunity arose that I can do it full time, I grabbed it at the same time I was raising my children and uh, having a wonderful life, doing two things that I love, being a mother and also being a professor. And then I also realized I wanted to keep active because I felt to be the best professor, I should keep active in the law and started practicing you know, uh, of counsel, which is a part-time thing with the law firm of K.S. Brannigan Law. I did that. um, At the same time, I was full-time professor and I continued to do that. And then as of about a year, year and a half, two years ago, I started um, arbitrations. So I kind of have the best of all, all worlds of what I like to do, what I love to do. And this is what I tell people. If you pick something that you love to do as your career, you'll never feel like you're working. You may have stress. I have stress all the time, right? I'm dealing with stressful situations, but I, I love what I'm doing. So it gives me um, joy. And that's, that's my, my message, if nothing else to you and the listeners today, is to try to find something in your life that will give you joy uh, in, in your work. Because if you think about it, most of your time for your next 50, 60 years is going to be working. So why not make it something that you love?
1: That that's my uh quota, Dr. Buza. If, if you love something, you never work a day in your life. Right. And, and I take that to heart. You know, that's right. You know, being an accounting major, you know, loving accounting.
2: Mm-hmm. And and the
1: goal is after KPMG, you know, the goal is to teach Saint Peters, hopefully one day. Oh,
2: awesome. We'll be colleagues. So. <laughs> but so. not to be confused nicholas with when people think oh you have to you're not going to love every aspect of him okay i didn't love working till 11 o'clock at night and weekends and i didn't love some of the you know grueling nights and stress and and believe me their work is still going to be work so i don't want anyone to be under the illusion that everything is all rainbows and and flowers and you know fun Um, it should give you satisfaction. That's what I mean by love. What you do at the end of the day, if you feel that you've accomplished what you wanted to, you enjoy it, maybe you've helped. In my case, I have gratification from helping people, you know, and I feel, um, that joy that comes from that, but that doesn't mean what I'm doing is always easy or what I'm doing is always joyful. So, you know, I, I just want to impress that upon students because I don't want them to think that, oh, I'm in this internship and it's hard work. So that must mean I don't love it. No, hard work is necessary. And sometimes it's necessary to get you to that next step. Don't forget, I wouldn't have gotten the teaching job if I hadn't put in the five hard years as an associate practicing law because they wanted a practicing attorney, right? So it's, um, it's, it's very important that you groom yourself, you develop yourself, you build yourself to be uh, in a position where ultimately you're in, in a job that you do love. I didn't love all of them. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: and, and the next question, Dr. Buza, would be that there are many people unsure about attending law school. Mm-hmm. What, would, what should they take into consideration before making that final decision?
2: well you know that's a good question what i i did some internships as i mentioned so i think if you can get an internship to see what exactly lawyers do is very important anybody would want to be a lawyer right say i'm a lawyer i'm a doctor it sounds good but do you want to be a lawyer do you actually want to do what a lawyer does so how do you know that in my case i didn't have one family member in the entire history of both sides of my family that was a lawyer so what did i do i i asked people who were lawyers at the internships that I did and, and uh, I did not have a professor that was a lawyer, but had I, I would have, you know, like, I think it's important you talk to lawyers. So if I'm talking to my students now, I'd say, talk to lawyers, do an internship, ask questions. Um, What, what is your, your end goal? Going to law school, by the way, is not only for people who want to be lawyers. That's the main thing. But like myself, you might want to teach or you might want to just uh, arm yourself with more power if you want to get into politics, or there's all kinds of jobs that would love to have lawyers take those jobs. Uh, But law school's hard, right? So uh, it's expensive too. So you want to make sure that that's something that you're going to enjoy. Look look what happened to me. I did not know I was going to like law school. And I remember discussing this with my dad, who's not a lawyer, but I trusted him. And he said to me, you know what? What do you got to lose? Try it, see it, see if you like it. You can always you can always quit. So I kind of went in with that approach and I'm not suggesting that people should just try things to try them, but if you have an interest, you think it's you know something that might be uh, something you would enjoy and you've already done some research, you've talked to lawyers, you've observed lawyers and you think that might be something you'd enjoy. Don't let the fear of law school's difficulty you know, um, hamper or dampen your decision to try it. The other thing I want to say is people, I have kids now who are getting older and my students who are like my kids, you know, I tell them, don't think, don't rush. You, it's okay. if you. It's not a waste of a year to try something out. It's not. You know, you can change your mind. When I was in law school, I was one of the youngest students in law school at 25 years old. I mean, uh, yeah, I graduated at 25. That's right. Um, Most, a lot of the other students had already been out and living their lives. I remember one of my friends was a doctor. He was a medical doctor and he came to law school because he wanted to change his career. So people change their minds all the time and that's okay. And don't feel like, oh my God, I got to decide right now when I'm you know, my senior year of college, and if I don't go, all is lost. No, you could try it out. You also could take a year off and then try it later. But try to make every decision, whether it's your decision to go to law school or somewhere else, based on as much information as you can gather from people who are smarter than you, from people who understand what it is that you're looking for. Um, and I, that's what I do. I ask a lot of questions, and I'm humble. If you're humble enough to ask the right questions, you'll learn the best information. You don't know it all. As old as I am and as much as I've lived, I'm the first to ask questions. I'm still the most humble person you'll meet in the room. And I, I think that if you stay humble, you, your mindset's different and your questions are better. Your questions will be more open and you'll be willing to receive the information. So stay humble and stay open to receive that information and you'll make the right decision. There's no wrong decision. You can always change your mind.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. V. Mm-hmm. And, and, and our next question would be, how beneficial do you think it is for a business student to have a grasp of the law?
2: Well, I think every student should have a grasp with the law, in particular business students. But why do I say every student? Because the law is all around us all the time. You can't walk out your door. Actually, you can't leave your house without the law being involved in your life, so in particular, an introduction to law class, contracts classes, I think are very, very important for any student to have. I feel like it's just, we're living in society where laws govern us, and yet we graduate students who never take a law class. It doesn't make sense to me. Every student should have a basic intro to law class to introduce them to our court system. Um, you know what. What's going to happen if if they violate the law? And it's not only criminal. A lot of students think crime all the time because that's all the TV shows are, right? But most of the law in your life has nothing to do with criminal law. Probably eighty—I don't know. This I'm making this up, but I'm guessing maybe eighty percent, ninety percent has nothing to do with criminal law. So business students in particular, you're going to be dealing with contracts. You're going to be dealing with all kinds of issues that involve the law. So I would say beyond the intro to law class, definitely agency and business organizations you want to learn if you're a business student, um, the UCC, Uniform Commercial Code. If you want to become an accountant, you definitely have to know this stuff. You you know, it's going to be on the CPA exam, a lot of this stuff. Uh, But beyond that, when we say business students, let's not confuse that with business majors. Most of us are business students, if you think about it. If you're going to become a doctor, you're going to open up a business. You need to understand business. You're going to be a lawyer. You're going to be an accountant. You're going to be an, uh, you know, you're going to, all kinds of majors, not just business majors really should understand the law. But in particular, I, I would say if business is your focus, at least take some contracts classes uh, and, and business organizations uh, type classes, which taxation, you, you want to understand this stuff. What did I say earlier? We want to arm ourselves ourselves with as much information as possible, and knowledge is power. I, I don't want to walk around and not understand the law and what's going to happen to me if I violate it. What's going to? You're in about I don't know, Nick. You're probably in a a couple, maybe ten contracts right now that you don't even realize. Maybe twenty, right? You're you're in a contract with your phone company. You, you probably have a lease. You probably Who knows? You you, With the school, you probably have maybe a scholarship. So you're in all kinds of, if you're an athlete, you have a probably a contract. You're in all kinds of contracts. You should be able to have a basic understanding of the law. And
1: I I remember going back freshman year, and I think you approached a nursing student to become a business law minor. And she was like, why would I do that? I'm a nursing major. And you told her, hey, aren't you going to get a contract for employment? You should understand what's in that contract. You should take business law course at least one uh, class the intro
2: to law class i think honestly everybody should have it Mm -hmm. like math science history intro to law (laughs)
1: no no, uh,
0: yeah oh yeah like, first of all thank you for coming on i'm sorry i'm late second of of all i think you make a very excellent point i think as an accounting major specifically nick and i see all of these legal aspects that we learned in your class your classes specifically I, i find it very I honestly find the law very interesting, and if you're going into accounting or even a uh, non-business related field, like you say, uh, it's very critical. It's like personal finance. It's like something that you should know Mm -hmm. just just to get like just to go on with your life.
2: Right what happens if you if you bang into somebody with your car today going to Kmart I mean what what what's going to happen how do you file a complaint if you're harassed at work now you're not going to know the detail what i tell my students is you're not going to become a lawyer in a couple classes at, at undergraduate school you're not going to please don't don't fool yourself into thinking you run understand it but what it will tell you and teach you is it will it will let you know i think what my classes do is allow you to spot the issues and know when you need to get a lawyer, right? I mean, the basic understanding of the court system and the law, plus the understanding of when this might be negligence, when I, you know, I, I, don't trust yourself to make this legal judgment. You have to obviously seek an attorney, but now you're, you're kind of armed with that information. When do you go to the attorney? What's, what's relevant to bring to that attorney? And, uh, and then certainly, I think with contracts and uh, your personal finances and just, listen, every one of you, you're going to get a job. You're going to, re- some of you are going to receive employment contracts. You might not have money to bring it to a lawyer. Isn't it nice that you, you kind of have an idea of what we're looking at, right? What's the, what makes the elements of a contract, what makes that contract valid? So I think, um, I think it's very useful.
1: Thank you. Thank you. No, 100%. I I agree. And, and going back, uh, you know, you being the director of Wally, and it being Women's History Month right now, um, would you mind sharing your experience as a woman in a traditionally man-dominated field and how it's changed over time?
2: Yes. Yeah, definitely. In some ways, it's evolved a lot. Okay. Um, in some ways, it stayed the same. But, um, When I first got out of law school, I remember it was, we were graduating 50% women when I graduated and we're still graduating 50% women. That hasn't changed. But you would think if 20, even before me, you know, if 20, 30 years ago, we were graduating 50% women, why don't we have 50% partners? Why don't we have 50% CEOs? Why don't we have 50? We don't. I don't know the numbers. I wish I would have realized to look this up beforehand, but I'm guessing it's less than 10, maybe seven, 8%. We have female partners. I'm guessing, you know, check that information on your own, but I know it's not 50%. And, you know, we've, we've kind of plateaued. I, we're there, we're, we're still struggling to obtain positions of power, leadership, decision-making, shareholders very few women are in those positions and that's what I want to see the change to continue to evolve. Very few female judges when I started, now we have a lot more female judges. Um, I was often, often the only woman in the room, now it's not as much the case, but I remember vividly walking into a room and being the only woman and I mean a team meeting, you know, there could be 10-15 people Maybe one, maybe two women. there were only a handful of female attorneys at at the firm that were partners. Um, you know when I started to now, I think there has been an evolution as a we still have sexual harassment, of course, hostile work environment claims, of course, but I felt like it was worse when I started in the sense my personal experience, maybe I just built confidence maybe I'm just Maybe people aren't going to take as much advantage of me because of my age and my experience. I don't know. But when I was first out of law school, I remember some situations where the assumption was that I wasn't the lawyer; I was the secretary. Not that there's anything wrong with being the secretary, but there was never—I didn't walk in the room, and there was an assumption that she's the lawyer. It was she's the secretary, and then I would confuse everybody that I was actually the lawyer or. I used to say with my male counterparts, they would walk into a room and, and, as a lawyer, and the assumption was that they knew what they were talking about. Now, they can ruin that assumption by saying something wrong or stupid. In my case, I walk in the room as a lawyer. I have to build the, the respect of the people rather than starting at, oh, she's a lawyer, she must know something. No, she's a woman lawyer. Hmm, let's be suspicious of this and let's hear if she's good or not. That, again, 20 years ago, I'm not... Necessarily saying that now, but I did feel that and I can give you one quick little example of it Was I remember there was a junior attorney at the firm that I worked at. I think he was three years my junior Um, Three years is a big deal when you're first out of law school When you first get out of law school You really don't know what you're doing. You know, you're really learning three years later You still don't know a lot, but you you know you, You know enough that you're doing a decent job and um, I remember I had a client come in and his office was next to mine, this, this other gentleman. And I do remember the client, the secretary having a little discussion, my assistant having a little discussion with his client. And the client saying, oh, you know, is he an attorney too? Pointing to the other attorney. And my assistant was saying, well, yes, but you have an appointment with Lori, you know, but really maybe I can have him. The, the guy kept, you know, asking for the male attorney. And he did look older than me. He did, you know, he had an air of wisdom about him, maybe the way he looked. But my secretary said, but why, you have an appointment with her. Why do you want to go? First of all, he said, well, I think I'll feel more comfortable with him. And she said, "Do you do realize that she's teaching him how to handle these matters. She's the senior attorney. And, um, you know, it was that kind of experience, experience that I faced a lot of the time or let's say I was in a room with this a male attorney the entire conversation of the client the eyes everything would be on the male attorney as if I was the assistant I, I felt that you know you it's it's in the room you, you can you can feel it. until I would prove myself until I would speak up and someone would realize oh wait she is competent oh wait she is intelligent or she does know her you know s-h-i-t right so um but That part I think has evolved. I don't notice that as much. I think now, like I say, we've gotten people used to the fact that we are competent lawyers, whether we're male, female, no matter what our gender or race, you know, there's that little handicap though when you first start out, I believe. And also being youthful too, if you're attractive, if you're youthful, you know, there's all kinds of things. People talk about implicit bias. You know, and I felt that more than direct discrimination. I felt more of this implicit bias against me for being young, for, you know, being female, if I dressed a certain way. And by the way, that's also evolved. When I first started out, I was specifically told what to wear. My, people would comment on my outfits. Colleagues, you can't wear that. You know, you don't comment on someone's, I would, and when they say you can't wear that, I was wearing a suit, very formal suit, hair in a bun, you know, short heels, nothing crazy. Now I go to conventions and I see women, they dress very colorfully. I'm very happy to see that because they can express themselves. I was told wear a gray suit, a black suit with a white shirt, below the knee, stockings, hair back tight. If I had my hair down a couple times, people said, put your hair in a bun. Um, I don't see those types of things as much anymore. So that makes me happy because I think we should be able to express ourselves. I think we should be able to celebrate our femininity and however we want to express uh, our culture and our gender. Or not. It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be part of the equation. You should be judged on your work and not what you look like. And that I find, thankfully, has gotten a little bit better. But we still have that struggle.
0: Yeah, I 100% agree. I find it interesting how you note that, you know, women have to, in a sense, work harder right out of school because they don't have Mm -hmm. that reputation immediately because they're not a man. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very, you know, it's very detrimental to women in their careers. What could, so like Nick and I are men, male dominant field. What could people in our situation do to help women to kind of avoid this step entirely and have an easier process in their career make it easier for them to, you know, Get empowered in whatever field that we're well, part you
2: do, you're doing it right now right you're educating people by bringing me on and honestly um i have had always not only female mentors but male mentors men have helped me very much in my career and i'm in gratitude to them you have to help each other it you know so the women that you're graduating with do what you can to, to support them. Like in that story that I just gave you. If that gentleman knew about it with the law firm, he could have spoken up and said, well, hey, she's my teacher. You know, I mean, it, you have to have some some um, courage sometimes to stand up for your colleagues. What you could do mostly is probably what you're doing with education and being visible. And what this is what I'm doing. It, having more women in power that you see as a young man you you guys don't realize you're still very young as young men seeing women in positions of power that's that psychological it 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 kind of um what's the word that i'm looking for dilutes that implicit bias that we all we all have it i have it too every single person has some kind of implicit bias but the more you get used to people who look different from you or different gender from you in power that implicit bias i think goes away or it gets dampened which is which is good so um be open uh there's less that i think you guys can do right now for people older than you like in the actual positions we need you to help the next generation, obviously, by being aware and educated. And that's my job is to educate you, not the other way around. And I hope that I've done that. And I know with the two of you, I know you personally, you both, you get it and you're open to it all. And I think the next generation, your generation going forward is much more open to it because you've grown up with it. You've grown up seeing people like me in positions of power. I didn't. Luckily, I had that one woman that I work for the US Attorney's Office, that she was the first woman that I had ever seen in that kind of position of power. Not only did I see it, she was amazing. She kicked butt, but she believed in me. So I, I was empowered in that moment because I didn't have that prior. So however you can think of empowering, maybe if you have sisters and, and um, friends and colleagues your age, definitely. Do whatever you can to support them, and then they to support you. We support each other. It's not a race. It's not a competition. It's just where if if you are sitting in the room and someone says something like I endured, stand up for them. I remember that one time, I was sitting in the room. Uh, four or five men were sitting there, with my team, and then we had a couple clients came in. They were men, and uh, the the male senior attorney turned and said, "Oh, you know, welcome. Come on in." We'll get you coffee sit down and right as he said that the guys turned to me and said yeah i'll take a coffee black you know he just assumed i was a secretary but my senior partner stuck up for me and he said no she's a she's the attorney uh i'll get it for you and he went out of the room instead of getting the secretary or whatever he wanted to make like a a point you know and he did so I had many men stick, stick up for me and, and do the right thing by me. So if you're doing that, you're doing a great job and that's all you can do, you know, is your best.
0: Yeah, I think that's great advice. I think that's the least people like us could do for uh, this, the situation. And I think to round out the episode, the last question we want to touch on is, you know, finding a job after college. So the workplace right now isn't necessarily ideal and, you know, many people who are about to graduate or recently graduated might be struggling to get a job right now. What in your mind would be a good thing for them to do in the meanwhile until they find that job? What could they build upon or what could they do?
2: So you're talking about students right now who are graduating that don't have work?
0: Yeah, if you're, if you're people who are just struggling to find a job right now, like what could they do to, in the meanwhile or what, what would help them?
2: Well, I mean, it's a, it's a difficult struggle. It truly is. Uh, when people need to put bread on the table, it's easy for me to say, oh, well, go learn, go this, go that, but you need to put bread on the table. So, And I always had to do that too. I always had three or four jobs going if, if I needed to. No one handed me anything. I had a lot of support. But what I would say is do what you have to do to live. If that means working at Home Depot or whatever you have to do to to, to support your family, you do that and at the same time work on getting that job that will give you the satisfaction that will give you the what we talked about at the very very beginning you know doing what you love educate yourself be involved in in listen to podcasts you know go to events and conventions meet people you, you can't all of a sudden you lose your job and then all of a sudden try to make contacts. Hopefully you've been building your contacts and, and developing mentors all along the way, right? So for example, the two of you have built a mentor in me. If, if something, God forbid, happened to you in a couple of years, you reach out to me. You reach out to those mentors that you've talked to and established over years. And you, you know, get headhunters. There's plenty of headhunters out there. Be willing to go outside your box, too. So let's say you have uh, a law degree or an accounting degree, you can't get a job. Well, maybe don't only look for law and accounting jobs, look for something in business and market yourself with your skills rather than your degree. So what are the skills that a lawyer has? I can do all kinds of things that don't involve being a lawyer, right? Same. So that's what I would say. If you can't find a job in your area, do what you have to do to put the bread on the table and then Maybe as far as, you know, what you tell your headhunters is that you're willing to go outside of that typical, you know, uh, envelope that you've been put in and and try some different things. And you never know. Look what happened to me. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up. I was a psychology major with nowhere to go. I wound up going to law school. So sometimes this uneasiness where you don't know where you're going to go or what your job's going to be leads you to something new something exciting. Maybe if, for example, when the COVID hit with me, right, I, I um, you know, there were deficits in pay and all kinds of things, and I was concerned, and I said, how can I make a little bit more money? Well, I remember, you know, I'm also certified in, in fitness training and teaching classes. My gym closed. I was teaching eight classes a week at the gym, and, and they stopped doing classes. So I said, how do I make money? I was losing a couple hundred dollars a week on that alone. So I said, well, maybe I'll, I'll do some personal training outside or teach outside or Zoom. So I had to kind of think outside the box. So it's a very long answer to, to really say the short answer is think outside the box and be open. Be open to try new things and maybe start that business that... You, you were afraid to do prior because you don't want to give up your job. Start it now. Do something you were afraid to try.
1: Open up your entrepreneurial mindset.
2: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You never know. And partner with colleagues, partner with friends. There may be someone else that is in a similar situation that that the strength of the two of you might be able to propel something even, even more grand. So oh,
1: that, be open that.
2: to that. Oh, that's
1: perfect that's perfect doctor b thank you and the, the the last question we're going to ask um you know being that we're in a pandemic and everything shifted virtually how how do you think this is going to alter the legal system going forward i, I know many of us seen uh, that lawyer you know that that was shaped as a cat during that uh <laughs> you, you didn't see that um no. a lawyer logged into a to a proceeding and and his his face was a cat <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, and,
1: yeah. <laughs> so so how do you think that's that yeah, also, i just uh, <laughs> i just heard
2: yesterday from another attorney he said he had the green screen on and he had a green shirt on and he just looked like a floating head <laughs> so, so we have challenges right with zoom um I think not only with the law, but overall, I think what we've learned from the pandemic is that we can work from home. We could do a lot from home. Uh, I had a drive through Manhattan uh, yesterday and I, you know, it's so dead and I'm looking around. So who's going to pay these high rents for these buildings out here when you don't, you know, most of the time you're doing your work from home. So I think what you're going to see a decline in commercial leasing and um you know this expensive I think people realize that a lot of the work can be done from home though there's more sh- some more strain with it there's a couple studies that came out the ABA I'm I'm waiting to read they just came out with a study on the effect on lawyers from you know what's gone on with the pandemic and it's more they're saying there's more stress particularly for women and uh diverse women um because child care, we haven't had the ability as much child care and you're trying to work and deal with child care, which both parents have to deal with, but it seems to fall more so on the the female and the relationship. Um, So there's been a struggle with people trying to work and deal with child care. But other than that, and some other, you know, the stress of of everything that's been going on with the pandemic. um, I think people are open to this idea of allowing people to work from home, People think lawyers are always in court, we're not. A lot of the time, most of the law is not done in court. So why drive an hour to go to an office and sit in an office when you can do it at home and spend that extra hour? You can actually become more efficient. For me, I have you know an hour drive to work, that's two hours right there that I could be working rather than sitting in a car. So I think people are thinking about work and work-life balance a little bit differently now after this pandemic. Uh, what that means.
0: Yeah, I think there's a, a saying that like a majority of cases don't even make it to a court. I, every, most things get settled outside of court anyway. So I think many people have that false percept, perception that, uh, you know, you need That's to be right. in person. And,
2: and, and courts are also conducting their proceedings via Zoom as well. Um, so, you know, that can be done as well. Now, what what impact does that have on if you think about if you do have a trial, the way you're working that room and the visuals and all that, it's different via Zoom. So it, does, there, it, it, it uh, definitely, um, there's a lot of, uh, what would I say, uh, not problems, but challenges, I would say to try a case via Zoom, even, even when you have an oral argument, you'd much rather be in person Right. You could see my eyes. You could feel you can even you could see the sweat on your forehead. Right. It, via zoom. It's a little bit different, not to mention, I probably could have a kid run by me behind me. Right. So it's it's difficult. It has its difficulties. On the one hand, on the other hand, we can be maybe more efficient by cutting out the the commute and the, the high uh, Cost of leasing uh, Places, you know, for for law firms and such.
0: Yeah, I can definitely see that being a struggle because I think like even virtual learning, you, it's hard to be as engaged, I, mm-hmm. I feel like, virtually as you would have been in a, vis- a physical learning environment. I, mm-hmm. That's just my opinion. I don't know if Nick feels the same way about that. But. No,
1: I agree 100%. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. No, I agree too. Uh, if, you, if you both had my class... You know, I was walking around, I was, you know, nobody was allowed to sleep in my class. <laughs> nobody was allowed on a phone in my class. But via Zoom, I can't really tell what's going on. So, you know, it's hard to engage students. And similarly in any any work that we would do, whether it was a hearing or, or something via Zoom, it's also hard to kind of keep the attention of people. People get sick of looking at a screen all day. So maybe we'll come up with something something else in the future where it's a little more interactive than a flat screen.
0: But yeah, I like to, uh, I think that's a great way to end the episode. Uh, Thank you, Dr. Buzza for coming on. Uh, I know I was late, but I really appreciated the the latter half of the episode and the conversations I got to hear, uh, got to have with you. So thank you for coming on once again. We really appreciate it.
2: It's my pleasure. And and a shout out to both of you, uh, Nicholas and Anthony, you're doing a great job with the podcast and and everything that you're doing. I wish you both luck. And anytime you want me to come back, I'm happy to do so.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Dr. B. Thank you.
2: Bye, guys. Stay well.
0: Bye. Nick and I are not certified financial professionals. This podcast is for educational uses only. It should not be used as the basis to buy or sell a security, nor is it the offer to buy or sell a security.